um, if you know me, you know that I'm a lover of, uh, of the holiday season. Um, the one thing about the holiday season is it, it brings about like the aroma of nostalgia, doesn't it? I mean, you, you get to reflecting about life, uh, about, about a lot of things, um, and, and we, we all have those moments. It doesn't even matter your age. Everybody, you know, I even hear teenagers talking about the good old days, and it's kind of like, man, you're, you're 12. <laughs> what, do you, what do you know about an old day, you know? Uh, but we all have those moments, right? I think about it, and I was talking with some of my uh, cousins um, on Facebook as I was preparing and just reminiscing about some of the crazy stuff that we used to do. And uh, in, in talking to my daughter, you know, there's things that the kids today, they don't know, like going outside and playing, for instance. <laughs> like kids, kids don't know what it's like to go outside and play. I, I saw a commercial of, of these, 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 these guns uh, that are like lasers, and then they've got these straps that they wrap around their arms, and like, it's like this big deal. And I'm like, that's laser tag. Like, we did that in the 80s. Like, that's, you know, they're trying to get kids to go outside again. Like, I remember, I remember playing laser tag until the batteries run out, and we could never afford to buy more batteries, and so we just made sounds with our mouths. <laughs> You're dead. I don't know that I was. It didn't hit me, you know. Uh, those moments, right? I remember going outside, man, and literally on a Saturday morning, You'd exit the doors after you eat a big old bowl of honeycombs, you know, big old bowl of cereal with a big old, I still eat cereal like that, by the way, big old bowl of cereal, man, you go outside after you eat your cereal, and you would not hit the doors again until it was time to take a bath and go to sleep. Like, you know, mom don't know where you're at, just as long as you're home before the street lights are on. Some of y'all don't know, that's 30 and up, by the way. You know, before the street lights come on, boy, by the time the street lights come home, you about to hit this door, or your butt is mine. That's, that was what we got daily. And, and uh, if it was summertime, you couldn't come back in uh, because mama would always say, close my door because what? You let my air out. That's <laughs> You couldn't, you couldn't. My grandmama, man, she was, oh, she was infamous for it, boy. You couldn't go uh, in and out of her house, man. And if you got thirsty, she'd say, man, turn on the water on the side of the house and drink it from there. Don't, don't come in my house running in and out, letting the bugs in and letting my air out. Which, we didn't have air, by the way. It was just fans. And so, so, so understand there was a method there because fans don't really keep the house cool, so it just circulates the air that's there. So if you keep opening the doors, you're letting the heat in or letting her air out. So you come out and if you want to, keep running out that door. Granny had a big old bush in the backyard that had these things they call switches. Yeah, y'all don't know what switches are, do you? Yeah, these are switches. These were small, thin uh, branches that were used to beat the, what my granny would say, the black off of you, man. You, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm reminiscing a little too much there. Too, too much. I, 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 got, I got a big family on, on both sides, my mom and my dad's side. Uh, a, it's a lot of us. And so uh, every weekend I, I spent with another family member uh, and just had a good time. Um, I remember I had cousins who lived, uh, if you're not from here, uh, where Park Dufall is, used to be a housing project with two of them, actually, called Cotter Homes in Southwick. And, uh, and I, had, I had about six sets of cousins 
lived in those housing projects. So every weekend, I just, I just house hop and just spend the night over all of them. Well, before the days of food trucks, on Saturday mornings in Southwick, there would be this guy who converted a school bus into like a candy store and like a small grocery store. And you would hear him coming, blowing his horn on Saturday mornings, and you would see every nappy-headed little God's child shooting out the door. We were like Olympians running to that bus, man, just trying to get everything we could off of that. We ain't brushed teeth. Ain't nobody took a bath. You got every penny every quarter that you could trying to make it to that bus man good old days good old days I grew up in the Russell neighborhood um, and uh, over there uh, there was a guy named Mr. Red now you go to Mr. Red's uh, house because you get a bad haircut and penny candy and uh, we were willing to get the bad haircut for the penny candy because Mr. Red just wasn't selling candy to anybody. You had to be a customer. And so we had $5 haircuts and penny candy. You come out of there looking crazy, but you have a pocket full of candy. So it didn't, it didn't, it didn't matter. And everybody knew when they see you walk down the street, they say, you went to Mr. Red's? Like, yeah, how you know? I can see your hair. Give me some candy. Though. Give me, give me some candy. <laughs> Used to love it, man. Back in the days, this is what what holidays, man, make me make me reminisce about, man. This just it's it's in the air. Um, you're probably reflecting now, aren't you? Thinking about some things. Somebody, somebody should tell me something that holidays make you think. What's a nostalgic moment for you? Just a couple of y'all. Let's let's share for a moment. What you got? What you got, Josh? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool, Wendy. Good, good. All right, I gotta get somebody over here. Eva, what you got, Miss Eva? Okay. Uh huh. That's black people punch. That's what that is. Yes. Yes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, no, I'm sorry, yeah, black people punch, I'm sorry, is ginger ale, Kool-Aid, and sherbet, yeah, that's what that is, so that is your mom's creation, my bad, 
She didn't have no sherbet. Yeah, she that was her. That was her original. That was her original. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> that, that is good. That is good. That is good. Yeah, man. Love the holidays. I um. My, my grandmother, uh, of course, passed um, last year, and, um, and I told my, um, uh, my, she had eight kids, and uh, all but my one uncle, who's the oldest, they cook. And uh, my grandmother made, man, these yeast rolls. Um, absolutely amazing. Like, just, oh, man, you sit there, and, and you'd get a spanking, because she'd tell you stop, but, you know, that was the epitome of you just can't eat one. Like, you would just, ah, uh, you cram them all in your mouth, man, all warm and buttery. They were so good. And I told my family after uh, her funeral last year that they were all failures. And, um, and they said, why? I says, because out of all eight of you guys, nobody got Granny's recipe. Like, you know, how, how do we live now without having those wonderful, wonderful yeast rolls, man? And so, um, yeah, man, just... Um, that's what the holiday season makes me do. Um, and I don't know about you, but there are also times when I feel nostalgic about my faith. And, and, and not thinking about the good old days. We always talk about the good old days in relations to church. Or, uh, but I'm talking about, like, the good old days, like when you first met Jesus, good old days. When Jesus first really came alive in your heart, you, you remember those times, those seasons, man, it was just, God, it was just so, so good. You, you'd be walking around just singing songs, whatever was the song that was nearest and dearest to your heart. I, I, I'm a friend of God, or uh, I'm in love with Jesus, and he's in love with me. It didn't matter. You just wanted everybody to know that you had a relationship with Jesus, and you wanted everybody to have the similar feeling that you felt at every conversation that you had. You was talking to people about how good God was. It was just, it was so sweet to you, man. It just, it, 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 made, it made life feel better and easier, didn't it? But then something happened. All of a sudden, we went from enjoying just the idea of the relationship and being a good follower of Jesus to over time, it became from trying to figure out how just to be a good follower of Jesus to trying to figure out how to be a good, insert whatever your ambition is who is a follower of Jesus, which is drastically different. You go from, I just want the world to know that I know Jesus and the work that he's done to, man, I'm just, I'm trying to accomplish this. You know, and by the way, when I got time, man, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get me a little Jesus in every once in a while. And, and, and so we, we, we're, we're, Matt said he wants to take a couple of weeks and just for us pastorally to talk about what we've been praying about for the church. And so um, I, I want to talk about today um, being naked and unashamed. Now, this isn't a Netflix and chill sermon, by the way. That's, that's coming in February, by the way. But... This is a nostalgic message 
because I want us to go back to remembering what it was like before life ruined the relationship or distorted the relationship between God and man. I, I think that George Bernal Shaw, he, he captured it best when he said, God made us in his image and we returned the favor. <laughs> God, God, God did everything that he needed to do. We feel like, I feel like we spend so much of our lives trying to determine what the Lord requires of us to do for him. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon, by the way. This is actually what the entirety of life has been like since the creation. This is indicative of humanity from the very beginning. And if you remember, the creation story was really simple. Man, God looked out to the vast nothingness and created everything, the, the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, the waters. And, and after, he, after he put all of that together, captured this, what God did, he created everything, all right? The earth, the skies, the waters, uh, and then he started creating living things. After he created the world, the last thing that he created was the living things, beginning with plants and vegetation. And after he created plants and vegetation, then he created humanity. After he did everything, he set it all up. He created the entire universe and everything that humanity would need, and then he set humanity in the midst of everything that they would ever need. And I love this. I love this. It made me also think about Jesus' conversation before his death. If you read in John chapter 14, you'll, you'll see Jesus. We, we quote this at funerals all the time. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, trust in God, believe, or believe in God, believe also. And me and my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, usually when we read that text, we look at it as though it's a foreshadow of the work that Jesus is doing, and that it is. But it's also an echo of the work that God did in the very beginning. In the very beginning, God said, here it is. I'm creating a world for you, a place for you to dwell for the rest of eternity, the rest of your life. Here is the world. I place you in it. When we're here, God says, Jesus says, now that you're here, there's going to be a time or a place that you need to spend the rest of eternity. That place I am going to prepare for you. So basically what we have, whether it is in the beginning in creation or Jesus before his ascension, is God making it very clear about how he feels like us and the work that he's going to do for us, which is essentially this. I care about you. I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of. I'm going to prepare for you in the creation story. And now that you're here, I'm going to prepare for you. It reminds me, if you will, it reminds me of, of, of a mother in the final trimester of pregnancy. And uh, if you've ever been that person or you've been around that person, there's this season that we call nesting, right? And, and the mother then begins to do everything that she can to prepare to make sure that when the child comes in, the child comes home, 
the child has everything that he or she needs so that he or she could feel the love that the mother has for him, the nesting process. I think that mothers have, have gotten that nesting gene or that gene from God. God modeled it first that I'm going to prepare for you. I'm going to make sure that everything that you need is gotten, is prepared for you before you get here. And it also conveys uh, just this simple truth. And that is, before you were even aware of it, God was concerned for you. So, God prepared for you before you came. God's preparing for you when you leave. But he didn't start doing that when you became aware of it. He's been doing that from the beginning of time before you were even thought of. As a matter of fact, Jesus even makes it a little bit more clear when he says this. In Matthew 6, uh, beginning of verse 25, listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So here it is again. Jesus is speaking to us. He's encouraging us to release our anxieties to him. Why? Because he prepared for your arrival first and foremost. But also according to this text in Matthew chapter 6, not only did he prepare for your arrival, he's also provided for your existence. He prepared for your arrival. He provided for your assistance. And then in John 14, we read that Jesus is preparing paradise for your promise. That's how much he's cared about you or he cares about you. He prepared for you to get here. Release your anxieties because he has provided for your existence. And also, don't worry about tomorrow because currently, right now, he is preparing for the promise that he has brought from you. Basically, the entirety of Scripture, I believe, that God is making one thing essentially clear. Baby, God's got your back, your front, plus your sides too. He's got you covered. And he wants you to release everything that you have, everything that is bringing about fear and anxiety. He wants you to let it go and leave it to him. And the challenge for us daily is to figure out how not to allow the anxieties of life to dominate you daily. Don't let life's anxieties dominate your life when there seems to be that there is much more to do than what you have time for. God says, don't worry about those things because I've got you covered when there seems to be more month than money. God's like, listen, I am Jehovah Jireh. I've got you covered. When it seems like the weight of life is pressing you down, he's conveying to you, listen, I prepare for you to get here. I'm providing for your existence and I'm preparing preparing for your promise. I've got you covered. Oh, and the things that happens in our world that bring about anxiety because we've got too much at our fingertips and we're taking in too much, too much information, too many stories, too much drama, and not to mention the foolishness that comes from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. All that anxiety that comes in is creating fear in our hearts and we start to elevate and magnify things that are beneath God as though they are greater than him. And he's like, let it go. Give it to me. So what brings you anxiety? Is it your, it's your family? Is it your finances? Is it your children? Is it just tomorrow? What is it that makes it rise up in your heart? 
Here's what I know about anxiety. Anxiety normally comes when we're faced with what's already true. It comes when we're forced to deal with what's already true. And here's what that is. You are not in control. You are not in control. You ain't in control of the breath that you're breathing right now. You're not in control in how your body responds to things. You're not in control of your children. You're not in control of your money. You are not in control of time. You have absolutely no control. And anxiety comes to us when we're forced to feel and face the reality that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to change what's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You are not in control. And anxiety comes when that becomes a reality to us. And what I want to let you know is simply this. You are not in control, but God is. And every page of scripture that you read is simply trying to get us to the point where we accept the reality that there is nothing that you can do, but he can. Matter of fact, Jesus says, listen, you worried about all these other things after he talks about it in Matthew 6, 25 through 27. You're concerned about all, don't worry about all these things. He says, how about you focus on this in verse 33? He says, uh, but strive first for the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. You, you may be more familiar with it like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's the more common translation. Let me, let me tell you kind of like the, the, the issue with how that verse has oftentimes been translated. Uh, too often we read that passage uh, in silos. We read it individually. And so it, 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 it sounds like bootstrap theology, that basically if you do the right things, and you be a good person, then good things will happen to you. That's not what Jesus means by this, nor was it created for us to read it in silos or by ourselves in our private closets. But if you read that communally the way that it was intended to, here's, here's how it would be better translated. Um, when citizens of the kingdom participate and seeing that the righteous justice of King Jesus becomes a reality for all then you too will benefit from a more just kingdom. All right, let me make it a little bit more clear. Um, when we come together, and if we come together and we are concerned about the things of God, the things of the kingdom, if we're concerned about being good to one another, if we're concerned about loving one another, when my pain becomes your pain, when your pain becomes my pain, when my children become your children, your children become my children, when our issues become our issues collectively, if we come into that with a communal attitude, then what happens then is when you've got a problem, baby, I've got a problem, and vice versa. But here's the thing. If your problem is my problem, I'm just as committed to your problem as I am to mine. So if we all pull together... With the issues of the world concerned about kingdom things that as I am working on your things together when we're working on it together as a natural consequence we heal the issues of the community if we work together if we seek him together if we if we struggle together if we fight 
together. When we live it together, then naturally we heal the world. Jesus, Jesus, God also, he speaks it through the prophet. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal from heaven and heal their land. Notice nowhere in that does God says, if my person. If my one person will do this by themselves, if my one person will pray, no, if my people, if we do a communally, the existence that Jesus wants us to live in that will be able to defeat the ills and the, 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 the evils of this world happens when we do so collectively. As a matter of fact, man, I've been thinking, I spend way too much time talking about anxiety. I love politics, probably a little bit more than I should. And I got to thinking about, as I was preparing for this, the nationalistic Christians. And when I was thinking, I'm like, man, if they understood Matthew 6 and 33 the way that it was intended, then perhaps that great preamble that we hold, it would be true. You know, that one that they quote all the time, that, that Thomas Jefferson wrote as he was pinning about equality while he was sitting next to his slave. He said, listen, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal and endowed by that created with an unalienable right and of these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you read that within the context of Matthew 6 and 33, then perhaps it would be true. And if America can possibly become great, it would have to become great with us understanding Matthew 6 and 33 in the proper light. This is God's design. This is God's call for the church. This is God's call for us collectively. How do I know? Because this is the way that it all started out. This was the beginning. I love it. Genesis 2 and 25. After God created everything, put it all together, he laid man and woman in front of him, and this is what you have. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were ashamed. What this means, just don't think about them not having clothing. This is, this is more about the relationship. That they sat before God without barrier, with nothing standing in between them. They were vulnerable before God. They were naked before God. Everything that they were, God knew it. And they were there with no shame. God knew all of them. He saw all of them. God saw all of them, knew all of them, and them knowing that God knew and saw all of them, they sat there proudly communing with God. Check this out. We find out that this was a regular activity, that every day God would come down and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They kicked it together every day, naked unashamed, no barrier between God and man. They bore all of themselves before him. That was a wonderful relationship. There was no shame. There were no secrets. There were no hiding. It was just them and God, and that's all that mattered. They had conversations. They kicked it. They drank coffee, hot tea, whatever it was. You know, they kicked it. God, you know, he smoked some ribs for them, all those things. It just kind of all happened. All there together, man. They, they hung out, and then something happened. Something happened. The enemy comes in and he tricks them and the relationship then becomes distorted. And we see this in, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, the, the effects of it. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking the garden at the time of the evening breeze. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now here you see is that they were, they were once able to stand before God fully naked and unashamed. And then sin comes and, and now the barrier has been created. And as a result, it's, it's not that God no longer fully knows man. It's that man no longer fully knows God. Um, we, we, see, we see this in the story and how, how things have been changed. You know, they are now hiding in fear and shame in their nakedness. Now, when you talk about the, the damage that sin caused between God and man, in my, my opinion, one of the greatest tragedies of all exists here. Um, I, I think about Adam and Eve as they were hiding, right? And, and they're hiding among the trees and Perhaps what they must have been thinking at the moment. They, they heard God. They're hiding among the trees. And I can only imagine that they were there having a moment of nostalgia. I remember when we could sit before God. But now we're hiding. I remember when I could bear all of myself but something's changed. Something is different. Now they're hiding themselves from God. And God calls out, where are you? Now here's what's true. When God's saying, where are you? God's not trying to locate them. He's God. He sees all and knows all. He's not, he's not trying to locate them. God's calling for them to locate themselves. Let me make my point clear. Um, uh, if, if, if you've been a teenager, if you are a teenager, there, there's this line when you, get, when, you, when you kind of forget yourself. And let me, let me know if you, your, your parent have ever asked you this question. Um, who do you think you are? Anybody ever had that question asked? Yeah, yeah. Now, now listen, um, when, when your parent asks you that question, it's not that they've forgotten who you are, right? It's that at this point, you've done something that doesn't look like who you are or how you've been raised. When God is asking, where are you? It's a parental question. God the Father is looking at his children, hiding from them as though they can truly hide from the God who sees all. And he sees that his kids have clearly lost their mind because they really believe that they are hiding from God. And Adam says that they were hiding because they were afraid and naked. But here's what we know. The reason they're hiding isn't because they're naked, because if it was about their nakedness, why aren't they hiding from each other? They're standing next to each other, hiding from God. So this isn't about the nakedness, because if it was really about nakedness, Adam and Eve would be hiding from one another. So it's not about nakedness, and if some of you, you've read the Bible, you're familiar with some of the traditional Hebrew um, um, traditions and whatnot, then you would say, well, you know, it's custom, you know, in Hebrew culture. Well, keep in mind, none of those things have been created yet. So that doesn't exist here either. They're hiding like they can really hide. But more importantly, 
just a short time ago, they sat before God naked and unashamed. Just a little while ago, they were comfortable standing before God, bearing it all, being completely and totally vulnerable. And now when they sense God's presence, they hide from him. And now God is calling out to them, or maybe, maybe God's calling out to you, where are you? He's, he knows your location. He knows where you're currently seating. But, but where are you? What's changed between you and God that now you don't want to spend that much time with him? What's, what's changed that your prayer life has changed? What's, what's changed that you pray very little? What's, what's changed that you don't want to devote the time with them? What's changed that you can't deal with silence because silence drives you crazy because you have to deal with some of the deep down things that you've yet to deal with? What's changed between you and God? What's, what's happening right now? God's calling. He's asking, where, where are you? Why have you distanced yourself? God says, I see you because keep in mind, they're hiding from God, but they can't hide from God because God knows all. He, he sees all. And the same God who sees all and knows all, he already knew that they had eaten of the fruit and sinned against God. He already knew that sin had happened. You know this by the question. He says, where are you? Adam responds, I hid from you when we heard you calling. We hid from you uh, because we were naked. And notice God's response. God responds by saying, who told you you were naked? And did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? Now check out. God did not say, first and foremost, did you eat of the tree? and gain knowledge. God didn't say that. God said, who? Implying that God knew the enemy had already been working. And so God's calling, where are you? And you're hiding, and you're afraid to pray, and you're afraid to show up, and you're afraid to go deeper, and you're afraid to dig deeper and connect more because you think that God thinks a certain way about you, and God is calling out to you because he desires more of you. He wants more of you. He already knows who you are. He already knows your deepest secret. He already knows your anxieties. He already knows your fears. Those things are not hidden before God. He knows you. He's calling out to you because he wants you to acknowledge the distance and come closer. Where are you? You're distancing yourself from him. God's, God's calling. And so the issue here was it was a vision issue then. It wasn't, it wasn't a vision issue of God. It wasn't how God sees them, but how they see God. And they, they thought that God viewed them through the lens of guilt and shame. And that, that wasn't the case because that's why he came. He came looking for them even though he already knew what had happened. He he came for us, even though he had already known that sin had done a job. He's looking for you. He already knows your story. He just wants you to acknowledge it and to come closer. So the challenge, I think, in this story for us is indeed that our vision is distorted concerning how we see God and how we think 
God sees us, but it's also how we see the world in comparison to God. And, and I think that we oftentimes see the world in comparison to God, once more magnifying it, but also it has us hiding so prevalently, prevalently that at the times when we need God the most, that's when we hide the most. So can I say something incredibly personal to one church? Do y'all mind? I got the mic. I'm going to say it anyway. One of the things that I've noticed about one church that probably, and it's not much, it frustrates me, but it, this frustrates me, is that the times when we need community and God and the church the most, you withdraw rather than come closer. I'll hear stories about the things that's happened in people's lives and at the most heartbreaking and, and some of the most tumultuous seasons in our lives, you'll distance yourself. And, 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 and we don't want to be invasive, and so we don't want to send a bunch of messages and calls because we, we recognize and trying to respect people's privacy. But oftentimes, I just want to send a message and like, yo, where are you at? Like, I, I heard this, this happened. Why are you running? Why are you hiding? Because if this space is just about us dressing up, looking pretty, and standing before and lying to each other, baby, let's close the doors and quit. The church is supposed to be a hospital. And we come here because this is the place where communally we gather for healing, not for fronting and faking. We come here and receive healing. And if you think that you're going to receive healing by staying at home and hiding, no, you're just going to stay at home and isolate yourself and add another layer of mask. Come to where God and God's people are. Not the God in your crib. He's there. He's everywhere. But scripturally, the power of God is prevalent in presence together. And never do you see in the Bible where it says, isolate yourself. Go by yourself. Do this by yourself. It's always done as a community and as a nation. We hide in plain sight, like we don't see you. I see you, and if I see you, certainly God does. God sees you, and I feel like we, we are so concerned in the wrong way with how people see us that the only thing we want to be known by is by the highlight reels that we post online. And if we continue to live our lives by highlights, telling the story, telling half of the story, a portion of the story, then we'll never make ourselves vulnerable enough to go before the Lord and receive the healing that he wants us to have because we just want people to think that everything is okay. So we withdraw from the community because you will recognize that I ain't got it together as much as my Facebook post or my Snapchat or Twit feed or Instagram shows. You'll see that I'm just like you. 
that I've got issues, anxieties, and fears. We've forgotten the power of vulnerability. There's power in vulnerability. Matter of fact, I love it. Dr. Brene Brown, she talks about it like this. This is what she says about the power of vulnerability. Can you put it up for me? She says, first of all, vulnerability defined as this, uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. That right there is countercultural. To be uncertain, but remember this, you're not in control. Every day that you wake up, you're uncertain. As a matter of fact, every night when you go to bed, there's uncertainty because you might not wake up. Uncertainty is a part of life. Deal with it. Risk is a part of life. You may be the most conservative person in the world, but there is risk in everything that you do. And emotional exposure is vulnerability. A healthy life is one that encompasses those things. And if you keep trying to hide yourself, condition your life in a manner where you are not that person, then baby, you are not living. But then I love this. She says that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper, meaningful spiritual lives, then vulnerability is the path. This is what we want then vulnerability is the path. If you want more of God, then vulnerability is the path. If you want to have a deeper, meaningful spiritual life, if you want God to do something in your life, I'm not trying to tell you that if you pray for seven days, spin around and do seven push-ups, that God's going to do something. All I'm saying is that for much of what you're looking for, you've got to open yourself up to the possibility that God will or he might not. But you've got to be vulnerable enough to accept whatever the Lord is going to do because at the end of the day, I'll say it one more time, you are not in control. And when I read the Bible, it seems like that's the entirety of the story. God has been trying since Genesis chapter 2 to get us back to the point where we can stand before him and be naked and unashamed and leave ourselves open to him. In fact, if you go to the end of the Bible, right before the last book, you'll see that in 1 Peter, Peter says to himself, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. He cares. And the only thing that he desires is that you live with that reality and you allow a good God to be a good father to you. It's like, it's like the creator of the universe who's made all things even the things that you value the highest is almost begging us to allow him to have full access to our lives. And we're like, now nah, I got it. And he's like, but everything that you hope for, the love, the peace, the joy, the hope, the creativity, everything that you live by, it ain't that I got it, baby. I made it. And if you want it at its best, rather than gaining inspiration or strength from somewhere else, how about you take it from me? 
And we're denying him not just his right, but his desire. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand. For in due time, in due time, the fullness of time, that, that time there is, is this Greek word, it, it's called kairos. It's, 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 not, it's not about time that you can measure, that's chronos. Uh, it's, it's kairos, which means it is, it's, 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 it's a moment. It's a moment that, that, you can, that you can never get back. It's not created. It's like a very special moment. And so what Peter is saying is that there, there, there's a time, a time that God has marked out for you. And so if you just trust him, I know your anxiety about tomorrow. I know that you don't know how it's going to work out. You're concerned about how everything's going to work out. But Peter is saying through God that, listen, God has your number. He knows your time. And if you just place your cares on him, in the time that he has allotted, he sees you. So everything that's been creating a barrier between you and God, God's like, tear that wall down. Give it all, cast it all on me. I can handle it. And I love you. I care for you. So let's stand all over the room. And uh, I know we've got to prepare so we can break down, but I don't want to move too fast. So uh, get uh, Kat, Matt, Angel, Stephanie. Um, 